This is the Playing Catch Up Podcast. I'm Brian Foisey. I'm Everett Beals. Everett's first episode for joining, and it's kind of a solemn occasion. Wow. I was hoping it would be more of a fun time, but um, today we're going to have to be discussing, obviously, those horrific events that we've seen um, in the nation's capital this Wednesday, January 5th, I believe, was the date. 6th. 6th was the date. Sorry. Hey, no problem. So where where can you begin? I don't I don't even know with this with this story. It's hard to start it all. I mean, it perhaps cliche at this point to say that one is at a loss for words, but it is, you know, we've been hearing the word unprecedented for almost a year now. It's actually really unprecedented. But this genuinely, seriously, has never happened before in a domestic sense. The last time a let's see an American. 1814 during the the war of 1812 (laughs) and that were those were enemy invaders yeah i mean from an external threat and this being and they burned the capitol building in the white house down to the ground but uh now we have internal agitators terrorists insurrectionists um and it, it really was kind of amazing uh in that way um i remember when you called me (laughs) <laughs> I was freaking out because when we when I I was that morning preparing for this podcast actually because we were planning on having an episode about the Georgia runoffs and whatever happened with that certification process. So I was watching PBS, I think it was PBS, um, talking about the certification process, and they occasionally would go back towards a a shot of the crowd outside of the U.S. Capitol. And it seemed as if there was a growing, growing violent crowd. And the first thought that I had was, literally the first thought I had was, oh my God, they're going to try to get into the Capitol. Like, and and they weren't even close to the Capitol. I was like, oh my gosh, these people are trying to get into the Capitol. They quickly, in PBS NewsHour, informed people that the, the U.S. Capitol complex was now on lockdown. And several house buildings. I think the house cannon offices were the first ones to go on lockdown because of an increased threat of this violent mob. Yeah. Um, That's on the south side of the mall. Yeah. And then, so I watched that all unfolding. And then I ran upstairs and I said, they're about to breach the Capitol. I told my parents to turn on the TV. And we just watched in absolute horror and amazement as you know on live television we saw hundreds of people marching through the hall of statues in the capitol building right onto the floor of the senate yeah it was one of the most frightening things i've ever seen on live television followed up later by the live shot of that woman being taken out of the um of the Capitol building on that stretcher. We were watching MSNBC and they carried that live right as it was happening. Um, It really freaked out my brother, Will. He ran upstairs crying because just seeing a bloodied woman on TV amidst this horribly frightening scene. Um, I guess ever just share your general thoughts. And then I have some stuff I want to say more specifically about what happened yeah Yeah, what i I think transpired that day i found out um discovered that it was first happening because um i was watching 
going back and forth between C-SPAN and working on some scholarship stuff. Um, and I noticed when C-SPAN wasn't broadcasting anymore and they went back to the guy in the studio who takes calls from people, um, something was wrong. And that was when you called me because the house was in recess and they were supposed to be on the floor debating all day, basically, because we were expecting that there would be resistance, and there was from GOP members of Congress. Um, but yeah, I was, once it happened around, let's see, it started like 2 p.m., they were inside the building, right, 2.15. I was, I was glued to the TV until 5, basically, until the entire, until they were pushed out of the building, basically. Um, it was one of the first times I was following, like, live tweets for the entire thing, because everyone in there had a camera, um, and most of the footage on the internet, on social media from Twitter, wasn't coming from the terrorists inside the building, but there were plenty of journalists who were trapped inside Congress, in, inside the Capitol, or in the other, um, surrounding buildings on Capitol Hill, um, you know, watching lawmakers have to say that they're okay, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and watching for, like, um, you know, where our delegation was. I think Shelly Pingree was the first person to say that um, she was safe. It um, was almost like the, I don't know if you remember, in, like, the wake of the Boston Marathon bombing, that whole entire manhunt, where, at least in my family, we were glued to the TV for uh, however many days that manhunt lasted. And basically, it felt like you were watching a, a, a TV show, almost. Yeah, it's... Like, you were watching a story unfold, a story that will be uh, undoubtedly a part of America's history. Yeah, but... I remember that pretty clearly, too, even though it was a while ago. I was, I was way up in western Maine in Eustis, and at, like, some cabin, but it had a TV, and that was basically what I spent the whole time doing, was just following that. But having been born after 9-11, certainly, having not, you know, um, being in this generation, which even if you were born before it, you do not remember it, um, it's probably the most profound and arguably the worst thing to happen on our soil with respect to the many other people who have lost their lives in shootings and bombings. This is arguably the most profound, unprecedented, and worst thing which I have witnessed in my lifetime so far. Cause it's it's not necessarily the most, it's not the deadliest event to ever you know take place in our in our lifetime. You know, we can thank the Las Vegas shooting for that. But it may be the most impactful. Yeah, you could say. and then I th I think it it's either the Newtown shooting, that school shooting, and then this for just an impact on. I don't know. Right. I mean, we'll, I would... we'll, we'll see what happens with daily life, but I feel like you'll never be able to walk up to the U.S. Capitol. I mean, you were never allowed to go onto those steps, but I don't think you'll ever be able right. to get near I, there I, anymore. Because, like, those, those, especially the school shootings, um, like in Florida, you know, that started a, a movement from students, and that, that changed the conversation nationally that people were having about gun violence, but this changes the, I would say, has a serious, serious impact on the entire political conversation in the country because this yeah. is the, it, it's difficult, it's, this doesn't happen that often in history, but when you can point to one event as the climax of a movement, mm. this is the 
these the climax of of trumpism of yeah of modern populism in america this is jimmy it. kimmel called it the treason finale of wow. donald trump's presidency that, that's uh that's kind of i a... don't find myself agreeing with the the kimmel man a lot but he's uh he's probably right there um and we'll we'll get into more specifics later about um what we think is going to happen afterwards but I think I wanted to address something that, and I've been, you know, running this by you. Sure. Um, ever since, you know, I started thinking about it. Yeah, on the, as it was happening. As it was happening, obviously people, uh, you know, cling to the story of how in God's name did thousands of uh, violent marauders enter the U.S. Capitol building pretty much undeterred by um, police. And I think the first reaction was, and I think this is, you know, gives some credence to this uh, way of looking at it. The first reaction was, if this was Black Lives Matter had attempted to, you know, storm the Capitol building during their protest this summer, or, you know, any non-white group of people in a similar setting, the reaction of police would be incredibly different, which, you know, I definitely agree with that to some extent, but I feel like, and I was running with that story too for a while, and I think I was watching the TV just saying, what the fuck are these National Guard people? Because we were watching the National Guard on MSNBC just literally lining up in some formation, just fucking waiting for some order to go inside and you know now we know a capitol police officer died we know four other people um who i don't really feel as sorry about for their passing but um you know any human loss is um didn't have to happen in this scenario but the national guard was just kind of waiting for some order that we don't really know at this point what what they were fucking waiting for yeah i mean i I think that that's definitely true. It speaks to certainly. Um, I believe it is. It is definitely true um, that if if these were non-white protesters, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have even made it past the first gate. And that's not because, or or rather, I should say, it's because there would have been a line of people there, and not just the half a dozen yeah. skeleton cap- crew. the skeleton crew of Capitol Police who had to stand there with one fence you know what what could they have done but uh, it speaks not only to the to the institutionalized racism within the police system that is certainly omnipresent but it also is certainly which i think you'll discuss yeah has to do with the present administration and how national security is being handled in that way because they've been putting off white supremacy as an issue even though our own um not security experts even within this administration are saying that the single largest domestic terrorism threat we have is is white nationalism yeah um and white supremacy it has been that way for decades but we've just sort of treated it as this funny little sideshow that is uh separate from you know al-qaeda or isis we just sort of say if the you know it's like it's a meme at this point but if the shooter is white then it's a mass shooting if the shooter is 
uh, black or brown, it's a terrorist attack. Right, and that's the same thing with this. With these people are white, so they're protesters. They're not instead of a mob. They're yeah. not. It's not a mob. They're not. But I, I, I just want to before we go back down that road. I, previously, I said I, I, I agree with, I agreed with that narrative at first, but uh, upon closer inspection, I, you know, in in analyzing videos I saw on the internet and looking at different um, news as it was trickling in really have come to the uh, conclusion that these officers, the Capitol Police, you know, a, a few um, examples notwithstanding, you know, obviously obviously that um, image of the P Capitol Police officer holding a woman's hand, walking her down the Capitol steps, um, shows you that there's some something fucked up within that system. But I feel like the actual issue does not... Um, lie with the Capitol Police officers themselves, who were uh, a skeleton crew, as Everett and I have said, facing down a mob of thousands of rabid, uh, deranged, psychotic dogs, basically. Seditionists, who were, who were armed. Who were armed. There were two with, bombs, several, with, several with, weapons. you know, guns, but also, you know makeshift clubs and you know pieces of scrap metal that they were beating at um police officers with but i i just want to i i've assembled all this evidence here and i'm not going to i don't want this to become a conspiracy theory because obviously i don't really want to play into uh, a lot of the same thinking that and got us in this situation to begin with but i just wanted to i've assembled all this information from different sources and I just wanted to sort of read it out um so this is from a New York Times article written by Dan Barry and uh, Sh uh Shira Frankel um so uh, on January 6th um uh, no on December 19th uh Trump tweets big protest in DC on January 6th D there will be wild that was his first comment of that sort so, on Tuesday, the, the January 5th, uh, a member of the Red State Secession Group on Facebook posted, If you are not prepared to use force to defend civilization, then be prepared to accept barbarism. Um, beneath that post, dozens of people posted comments that included photographs of their weaponry, including assault rifles that they said they were planning to bring to the rally. There were also comments referring to, quote, occupying the Capitol, Enforcing Congress to overturn the November election that Joseph R. Biden Jr. had won and Mr. Trump had lost. Um, it goes on to say, on that day, the first, uh, on the day of November 4th, the first Stop the Steal Facebook group was formed and it quickly took off. Uh, at one point, there were 100 new members every 10 seconds. The group swelled to 320,000 followers before Facebook shut it down. As hundreds of new Stop the Steal groups continued to pop up, Facebook became more aggressive in shutting them down, prompting some far-right supporters of Mr. Trump, including some involved in militias and conspiracy groups, to move to new, less restrictive social media sites, including Parler and Gab. It was on these sites that a movement uh, to organize a pro-Trump protest rally in Washington gathered momentum. And I just want to note, Parler, Gab, obviously Facebook, these aren't deep web things that you can't access no, these through just... Google. Apps, yeah. Yeah. I'll say yeah. while you're looking for that, it's not. I don't think at this point it's controversial at all to say 
the point you're getting at first off, which is that... Um, <laughs> Let me slowly get to my point. The, 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 but it, it is certainly true, without unequivocally, that the cause of the riot is the president. Yeah. Was the president. And that as everyone in Congress who was GOP and Democrat was begging the president, trying any way to get a hold of him, it's very clear also that he was the only one who could stop it. And he didn't. Okay, so December 27th, Trump tweets, see you in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Don't miss it. Information to follow. December 30th, January 6th, see you in D.C. That's all caps. January 1st, the big protest rally in Washington, D.C. will take place at 11 a.m. on January 6th. Location of details to follow. Stop the steal. That same day, a supporter misspelled the word uh, Calvary in tweeting that the, quote, Calvary is coming, Mr. President. Mr. Trump responded, a great honor. Um, on dedicated uh, chats and gab, they discussed logistics of where to gather and what streets they would take to the Capitol. The Red State Secession Facebook page even encouraged its 8,000 followers to share the addresses of enemies, including those for federal judges, members of Congress, and well-known progressives. Then dawn January 6th, the day of reckoning, thousands gathered in, Washington, in downtown Washington, forming rivers of Trump red that commingled the Trump and American flags. The group crowd uh, included between 2,000 and 2,500 members of the Proud Boys, according to Enrique Torrio, the group's chairman. Um, so, and here's another article, BuzzFeed News. It's called, uh, The Rioters Who Took Over the Capitol Have Been Planning Online in the Open for Weeks. Um, and I'll, I'll post the links to these in the description. In one interaction four days prior to the event, a person on uh, the Donald, which is a, a website, um, previously on Reddit, but was moved off of Reddit, uh, someone said, what if Congress ignores the evidence? Uh, someone replied, stormed the Capitol. Uh, that reply received more than 500 upvotes. Um, the person responded, you're fucking right, we do. Uh, what I'm trying to say here, and I'm going to keep reading these things, um, is that the claim of the National Guard and the police that they didn't have any warning, they didn't know this was going to happen, um, is bullshit. Because as I'm going through all these things that are easily um, Googleable, Accessible. Yeah. Um, you'll see that, okay, here's another one. All this bullshit about not bringing guns to DC needs to stop. This is America, FDC, it's in the Constitution, bring your goddamn guns. Uh, another person uh, tweeted, um, or posted, armed with rifle, handgun, two knives, and as much ammo as I can carry. Um, and this person says, who would you like to see, quote, dispatched first? Nancy Pelosi, John Roberts, Pence, any others, please name. I was leaning towards Nancy, but it might be Pence. Two days after that post, a live stream of the violent mob standing outside Congress showed them chanting, hang Mike Pence. And, you know, we've seen the images of them, um, you know. Yeah, they set up a, a, gallows, a gallows on the other side of the um, Capitol. Reflecting pool, I think it was. Yeah. Across from the Ulysses S. Grant monument. So those two articles prove that basically these people have been planning out in the open on Facebook, Parler, Gab, the Donald, all of these things. This isn't the dark web. For months. For months. And led by the president, spurred on by the president. So here's a, another article, and this one will go into basically why the D.C. Guard was not there. This is the Washington Post. It's an article by Missy Ryan and Paul Sahn. Um, 
says, In memos issued on January 4th and 5th, the Pentagon prohibited the district's guardsmen from receiving ammunition or riot gear, interacting with protesters unless necessary for self-defense, sharing equipment with local law enforcement, or using guard surveillance, and air assets without the Defense Secretary's explicit sign-off, according to officials familiar with the orders. The D.C. Guard was also told it would, be, it would be allowed to deploy a quick reaction force, only as a measure of last resort, the officials said. The need for higher-level approval appeared to have slowed the military response when the Capitol Police requested backup from 200 troops during a call with top Pentagon officials early, early Wednesday afternoon, according to officials familiar with that matter. This one pisses me off. Guard units arrived roughly two and a half hours after the chief of the Capitol Police made the emergency request, even though a quick reaction force had been put on standby right outside city limits. And uh, they later say the D.C. Guard is housed in the armory about 10 minutes drive from the Capitol, but it took them two and a half hours to respond to the call for backup. That, uh, that doesn't sound like just a random occurrence that they accidentally took two and a half hours. They were just taking a long time. That's... That sounds strategic. Uh, the Defense Department was able to restrict the D.C. Guard because the military force answers to the president rather than the mayor. And the answers to the president is important here. The president's power of the D.C. Guard is typically delegated to the Defense Secretary and the Army Secretary who make command decisions. Um, officials said the restrictions on the D.C. Guard were put in place in part because city and Pentagon leadership didn't want a large military presence after Trump ordered a mass military response to racial justice protests in the nation's capital this summer. Um, and the D.C. Guard was only mobilized, um, I'm not directly quoting here, was only mobilized when Staney Hoyer, uh, House Majority Leader, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Mike Pence, made phone calls to the Army Secretary asking for backup. The and President claimed last night that he immediately called the D.C. National Guard, but that's not true. It's it, completely false. And he, is the, he is the person that held them up for two and a half hours as thousands of his supporters mobbed the Capitol building, have resulted in the death of a police officer who was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher and hit with a chemical agent. Two and a half fucking hours because the president said... No DC guard. No DC guard for my people. No DC guard for my supporters. I'm going to send the DC guard in for the Black Lives Matter protests. Right. That's the, we could say that that's the it's same so reason. It's so fucking crazy. It seems like this is a cover up. Like in in the in, during the summer in the plaza, right where we had yes. that situation is would you say also or I believe there is sufficient evidence, but would you say just from what you know here that the immediate deployment and escalation of that situation to become extremely violent. Yes. Where the limit was pushed merely so he could walk a block through through a park to take a picture in front of a church and, and, and holding and a Bible upside down. Bill and then Barr walk back. calls them like half an hour before he does that and the DC guard all of a sudden mobilizes because they're a ten minute drive from the Capitol and the White House. Ten minutes. Two and a half hours in this case. While a Capitol police officer is being killed, and and, and while puts, the entire he, force on the in the Capitol is is under siege, and lawmakers are running away from Mar hiding hiding for their lives, hiding for their lives. All of the president's political enemies housed in one spot. He tells his angry group of people to go to the Capitol. He is okay with them having weapons. The D.C. National Guard is aware from these. 
publicly accessible platforms that people are planning something, that they're planning to bring assault weapons, they're planning to storm the Capitol. They know this. These journalists are not, you know, this article was posted that night. This article was posted two hours later after this event happened. Three hours later after like two o'clock when they breached the Capitol. It took them three hours to find this. And this was being planned for months prior. And the D.C. National Guard claims they had no idea this was going to happen. Right. And, and I find that so hard to believe. Right. And I I'd certainly the notion that this was, you know, I thought at first just from what journalists on the television were saying, but certainly the notion now that this was organic or unplanned is, is completely false. And disorganized, maybe, but mm -hmm. unplanned, certainly not. And people are asking, like, well, what did they expect to do? Um, some, and some, especially on the right, are suggesting that they're just upset patriots who walked around and left. Well, certainly that's not true, because during the summer, the president um, signed new orders, which made it, uh, what was it, 10 years automatically for vandalizing federal property, something like that. Um, but the other larger problem is that, yeah, it's pretty clear these people are going to be bound. There's that picture of a guy, I think, in the Senate chamber. He's holding a bunch of huge industrial-sized zip ties, probably... To take... To prob of we assume to take hostages. Again, we it's amazing... That the Capitol of, Police, with their skeleton crew, held these people off long enough to whisk the lawmakers away. Yeah, and those are the scenes that we see in videos. Um, there's a Capitol Police officer who's... I, I he's believe only he's, armed with the baton and there's like a right he's trying to hold them back by going up the stairs and this should be the situation in every encounter um you know that they are restraining from using violent acts because that guy alone would have been he could have been killed if he drew a weapon on them but you know i think the really really frustrating thing is that there was no shine of restraint during the summer I think there were, yeah. what, 14,000 arrests nationally following the George Floyd protests alone. Um, and the outrage now is that, as of right well, now, they, they, on they, Friday, there's only been 68 arrests by the Metropolitan PD. I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not... I just want to make clear here. I'm not trying to make this... I'm not one of those Blue Lives Matter people. I'm not making a pro-police thing. I understand the deep deep flaws within our police system and that a majority if not all the police departments are corrupt and deeply you know institutionally racist but i feel in this scenario it's unfair to say that they showed restraint because it was you know white protesters instead of black protesters yeah i think but i i feel through reading these articles they were effectively neutered by the president's calls to... Yeah, that's the most important thing. There would be no... He said, explicitly stated, no civilian... Only civilian law enforcement. So it could only be Capitol Police. No D.C. National Guard. And in that way, would you say that... You know, there are obviously more direct actions, certainly on the day where he was speaking and inciting that rally. Yeah. But by not acting in this way, um, or... I suppose it is by acting, by not allowing um, anything more of a police presence. Would you say that this is also open acknowledgement or in incitement of this coup attempt from the president? Well, it, I, what I'm trying to get to here is that if the president had chosen people who were a little more competent, 
or the Capitol Police that were there hadn't held the lawmakers back. More people, yeah. But. Yeah. Then we could be in a situation today where we are mourning the loss of Nancy Pelosi, Mike Pence, Kamala Harris, AOC, you know. Right. We could have we're in a situation lawmakers dead. Or taken hostage in the Capitol building. Right. It's it's clear that their intention was not just to walk around and take photos. Yeah, it's frankly astonishing that so few people got hurt. You know, I obviously um, wouldn't want harm to come to anybody, but the fact that so few people were harmed seriously is amazing. I think it's, I mean, again, I don't want to make this a pro-cop thing, but it's really a testament to the bravery and the actions of those few police officers. Um, but something I also think is just, shows the sheer hypocrisy of Trump supporters and people on the right and especially on the alt-right. They all summer were parading around, blue lives matter, blue lives matter, we respect the police, these socialists wanted to fund the police, all lives matter, blue lives matter. That is not what they're actually saying. They're not pro-police. Because if they were pro-police, we wouldn't have a dead Capitol Police officer right now. If they were pro-police, they would have respected the orders of the Capitol Police and they would have walked away. They wouldn't have beaten them, injured many, you know, pushed back their barricades. Right. It's not... The Blue Lives Matter does not mean police lives matter. It means we don't... Black lives don't matter to us. Exactly. That's what they're saying. Exactly. Um, It's, It's a completely racist statement. It's not a pro-law enforcement statement at all. Maybe from some people, but those fucking American flags with the blue stripes on them that many of those protesters were holding and using as spears against police officers. How can you then walk around like you're the pro-law enforcement party, like you're the Blue Lives Matter party? The irony was pretty clear. I mean, people have been pointing out all year... Basically, when you see a Blue Lives Matter flag right next to a Gadsden flag, the the Don't Tread on Me, the supposedly the Those symbol of libertarianism, <laughs> they're com- they're immediately it's, com- it's like a double negative conflicting. Yes, yeah. um, and also, you know, these were the people who all summer were saying, well, if you don't want to be arrested, then just do what a police officer says. And they were all the people who were saying we don't riot. Like, right, we, we don't riot. We're that we are the peaceful party and what happened to the 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 uh the empathetic the the kind left the tolerant left it's 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 so it's so enraging on so many different levels and and now there's a federal investigation of a murder of a federal employee because the dc capitol police are federal employees they're under the jurisdiction of the federal government not of the local dc law enforcement and Trump is under investigation. The prosecutors in that situation have said they're going to investigate Trump and his words. Yeah, they're going to investigate. And that's why he made parties. that video message last night to sort of make himself seem less culpable for what happened here. Right. Um. But I, I, I would not surprise me if in you know the coming weeks or months or even years, if they have to do a um, you know, in House or a Senate commission on what happened here, like a Warren commission or 
9-11 commission report. Yeah, I think they're already mostly Democrats, but members of Congress who are, are calling, calling for that. that. Yeah. And, you know, they... People but have also I, pointed out that for Benghazi, they had Hillary Clinton sit in Congress for 11 hours. Um, and more people have, more Americans died in, in this riot than... Uh, Benghazi. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> cer is, certainly, you know... Which is crazy. For the entire span of his administration, they should be deposed. Um, they refuse to be at all during the impeachment hearings. But um, at this rate, I think... But what would what, it surprise you if... It came out in the whatever commission or whatever form of investigation they do that the president had a conspiracy to attempt to take hostage or just in, in some other way disrupt the proceedings of the uh, certification process. It, and part of that was holding off the National Guard. Yeah. For me, I would not be surprised if it came out that President Trump, there was a conspiracy for on his part to let his supporters into the Capitol. Um, yeah, I mean, direct kill order, I don't think so, but yeah, I, don't, it, I, I think it's maybe that's going a little far, pretty but. clear that he is um, guilty of enabling this issue. Um, and we should also say that every person there was breaking federal law. Yeah. Um, by breaking and entering. Um, and it might even be, you're disrupting Congress as well, which beyond the, the uh, mere constitutional um, importance of that event uh, is also <laughs> simply uh, trying to stop democracy itself, um, which is pretty appalling because the entire issue at stake is that this one man over the past five years has managed to convince 72-plus million people, mm -hmm. um, many of which are now to follow him, and many of which are now convinced that this democratic election which we have, which has been called by our own national security one of the most safe and in secure in all American history, yeah. it was completely fraudulent, and turning them against um, the democratic process, which... You know, people five years ago was saying, look, this guy is probably a fascist. But at that rate, this is by the book. That is disruption Literally of it's sedition it's, yeah. it, and it's treason. Um, it's like the Reichstag. Or, yeah, Where and some people, people compare it to the, to the beer hall putsch as well because that it was ineffective. But it is the same thing where now we're seeing that a lot of people feel betrayed by President Trump, his followers, and they're all blaming it on far-left agitators, Antifa, Antifa which, well, that's not, again, is amazing, but that is like the Reichstag in, in some ways. I don't want to draw Hitler comparisons, but um, at this rate, they might be warranted at least um, not for their validity, but for the historical relevancy because, um, you know, just merely as a coincidence, perhaps, when you have far-right agitators who blame, you know, there's still historical debate about who burnt the Reichstag down, but um, about where you have far-right agitators who are clearly trying to start a coup and then blame violent actions on the far-left, um, when in reality, the far-left had very little to do with any of it. I just want to... Uh, people have been really pouring over that Trump speech from that rally 
which has been, you know... Is that called, like, the Save America rally, right? Yes. Everybody's been, you know, pouring over that and explicitly pointing out him saying, let's go to the Capitol, but... Giuliani saying, let's have trial by combat. Yeah, but I think that's that's the most incredible example here. Trial by combat, says Giuliani. We're gonna have a trial by combat. Donald Trump Jr. says, we're coming for you. If that's not inciting a murderous mob, you know... I don't know what is. Yeah. Yes. Another thing from this article from the New York Times, this is Maggie Haberman. Um, some interesting reporting here. I just want to... This is my last article that I'll no, read I, from. No, please go ahead. <laughs> okay. So she says, shortly, shortly before leaving the White House on Wednesday morning for the ellipse, where a stage had been set up for him to address supporters, President Trump had a word with Vice President Mike Pence. Mr. Pence repeatedly uh, repeated what he told Mr. Trump a day earlier, that when he went to Capitol Hill in a few hours to oversee the tallying of the electoral votes that would certify Joseph R. Biden Jr.'s victory, he would not have the power to do what the president wanted and overturn the results. Mr. Pence was planning to release a letter soon explaining that. Mr. Trump listened and stewed and chastised Mr. President Mr. Pence as soft. He accused Mr. Pence's uh, chief of staff, Mark Short, of being responsible for Mr. Pence's position and told his own aides that Mr. Short, who was working at the White House complex before the joint session of Congress began, that he was, quote, not welcome there anymore. Mr. Trump was somber as he got into the presidential motorcade for the short ride over to the Ellipse, where he made made clear in his roughly 70-minute speech that he was furious with Mr. Pence and that he wanted the people to gather on the National Mall and go to the Capitol immediately afterward in protest of what he falsely claimed was a stolen election. And then you have all of this evidence of people saying, let's storm the Capitol. And is that a coincidence that he says, everyone go to the Capitol? Yeah, he says, I, I believe at, at some point, but they, he, says, they were, let's, yeah, well, he says, we're going to march to the Capitol. He says, explicitly says that in the speech, but months and months before, in as early as December, people were saying, let's storm the Capitol. Right. Is that a coincidence? No. That, he, that Trump says, go to the Capitol. They were already planning on storming the Capitol. They have weapons. They have, some of them have zip ties with them, with the intent of storming the Capitol, and, you know, who, God knows what they were Yeah, intending. people have come from all over the country, many from quite far away, actually, um, and they're furious, um, and... And he must know that. Well, exactly, that's... And he must know the, that they want to go to the Capitol. That's the Because he that's says, the go to the Capitol, and, and let's have trial by combat. Yeah, he... They're all there to serve him. All he, really all he has to do is extend a finger towards where he wants them yes. to go. And that's what happens because that's that's how he was elected that's the president. Cult of Trumpism. Like many demagogues. Um, He's or like a like, god to them, basically. It's a, it's a cult of personality. And yeah. again, the, the comparisons to historical fascist leaders are not direct. But every one of them knew how to use hate and anger in the people to get what they wanted and to have um to do exactly this to spur mobs into doing their bidding and to sow distrust in political institutions and people um and that's exactly what he did and this you know might be considered a final attempt of his to claw to power um yeah and in as you have laid out um allowing for protesters to get there uh, 
you know encouraging encouraging them to go there but also you know in disarming um capital police um neutering them as you said it enables them to get there easily they and they feel empowered by that and many people i'm sure had a feeling like they were martyrs in some way that they were they were invoking 1776 in some way um which is pretty troubling there's another quote in here that was especially frightening to me and i don't know which article it came from i told you i was done with the articles but i well you've got your primary sources there's nothing wrong with that oh oh, yeah. yeah yeah i found it um one person posted no wonder the president said January 6th in D.C. was going to be wild. At Lynn Wood, who was another conservative shit-stirrer. Um, at Lynn Wood just told us that many of our politicians are raping and killing children. They won't be able to walk down the street, a post said. Right. I'm, I, I, I don't want to be sympathetic to these people at all. But when you're told your democracy is at stake, there's an election being stolen from you, Members of Congress are raping and killing children. And then, obviously, a lot of these people, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but it seems that a lot of them could have mental illnesses of some sort if they see that they can just walk into the Capitol building. and Yeah, and even beyond that, the way that people enter, like, cults or conspiracy agencies generally, or you know groups of of hate like this um generally speaking oftentimes it's people who don't have the strong sense of community who feel rejected um and when they're continuously rejected and they find that these even if they feign this sense of community and even if the actions are hateful um it, you know even if they may um initially disagree on moral grounds um people will do whatever they can to get that sense of community. So it may be true, as I said before, that, and exactly as you said, that a lot of these people felt very much empowered um, and that they uh, but they're obviously, they were there to save their country. They're that was what they were saying. But clearly... Obviously, they're committing crimes. And I, I don't... This will sound bad, but can you honestly blame them if they're told over and over your country is at stake your there are members of congress are killing and raping children right over there right go down to the capitol and trial by combat and that's part of the QAnon. the the, the blame definitely rests with them to some extent because they are the ones who did this well they should be charged like it's their enablers who i feel like it's trump giuliani don jr whoever this lynn wood guy is and then that should really face the brunt of members of Congress here. too. Yes, members of Congress: Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Leffler, Purdue, Matt Gates. Gates. Is, I fucking hate Matt. He's been Gates. doing this for two Tommy years. Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville, the the horrible Coach Rafferty who <laughs> horrible <laughs> nightmare Rafferty. The, the bizarre world Rafferty. <laughs> Terrible, horrifying. So yeah, it's their enablers that are directly responsible. Well, those people who committed a crime should be charged and arrested um it really i the culprit the cause is it's obvious it's a handful of people who wanted this to happen the last point i want to make on this subject and then we gotta move on to georgia runoffs 
um, and all that news. Mm-hmm. What do you think Joe Biden should do about domestic terrorism and these white supremacy groups in the future? Because the way I frame this, speaking, speaking to another person, um, if a thousand or hundreds of thousands of armed Iraqis stormed the capital, there would be bombs on the way to the capital, onto Iraq right now. You know, if, if it was somebody else, if it was a uh, foreign group, there would be somebody, there would be an attack on the way, there would be a war coming. If it's a domestic terrorist group, and they're white, and they're white, what is the response now? Because I would, in, in my point of view, I'd say you go hard after these domestic terrorist groups, treat it like they're ISIS, an aggressive campaign, you know, and you do an, a, a ban on assault weapons, you do gun control restrictions, you do mental health screenings for people, you ask Facebook, Twitter to be, you know, um, more stringent in the way they police content. That's what you would do to deal with this. If it was anybody else, if it was any other group, they would be already at war. Yeah, so I agree with that point, certainly. Um, but if there were any external threat, especially with Trump as president, we would, we would be at war. That's true. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of radicalized people. Almost everyone was there, certainly, was radicalized. But there's also uh, 72 million Americans who probably sympathize with with what's going on. Um, maybe not all of them, but right, they I all like they all voted for Trump it's probably all twice. It's going to crumble after this, though. I feel right. Like that that the end. that the GOP is likely fractured at this point, which is what people expected to happen at the end of the last election. That's what Lindsey Lindsey Graham said. Yeah, uh, and he he hates South Carolina now. But, um, <laughs> what? who doesn't? Oh, I'm just kidding. At this point, you know? Yeah, but, um, yeah, there's all these people who aren't necessarily radicalized, but that have been drawn into this cult of personality. And it's wrong to say that they need to be re-educated, but they do need to be de-radicalized. <laughs> yes. And it's... Re-educated. Because it, and it is what has put such a deep wedge between the two parties and these two Americas. Um, and I've always been of the mind to be very sympathetic to other people regardless of opinion which is what i feel should be a general thing we have freedom of speech and we enjoy it and that's a central tenet of our democracy and it's what keeps us free but at this point it's it, i even now and or rather especially now it's become harder and harder i feel for almost everybody especially on the left to attempt even to be sympathetic for trump voters a lot of people come out on social media and say anyone who voted Republican, you're part of the problem, which could be said to be true, especially if you're enabling Donald Trump the person. They're in some part. There are people who have done more. Which is true. But, you know, I've also been conflicted in in that way. Um, What can we do? Um, Because now, like, education, just as an idea, has been associated with the left. And I don't mean liberalism, but the left. Like, it's a socialist idea, this, this... let's say East Coast, but coastal elites 
who refuse to understand rural America and who want only what's best for themselves. This is true in some ways historically, but it should also be said that edu um, education isn't a liberal thing, but liberalism relies on education and science, and in that way I mean the scientific theory, using data, being rational. Um, and that's not to say that traditional republicanism doesn't rely on data and facts, yes. but Just this brand. Of but now there is this widespread anti, um, this anti-intellectualism, anti-facts, anti-science. People don't trust, and when people don't trust medicine, they don't believe there's a virus. They don't trust people. They don't trust who, the media at all. And they solely believe that, and many are turning on him now, but they solely believe that one man. Is going to clear out this entire swamp when, in fact, people who have been watching, not just, you know, there is no bias here. When you see that he is creating a larger swamp, yes. he's putting in his own relatives, he's putting in businessmen who have no, like himself, who have no political experience, who only want what's best for themselves. Um, so all Joe Biden can do is try and be the, the figurehead now, maybe as an attempt to not replace that, but show that there can be a, a united version of that a united america again yeah um and de-escalate and de-radicalize these people and it you have to restore this is something pete Buttigieg wrote about in his last book but uh called trust which was published last year at the end of last year but you have to restore trust in institutions um doesn't mean like trump that you have to blindly follow politicians you're supposed to criticize them you know, you're ardently and constantly to make sure that they're serving you in the right way. But it doesn't mean that you, one, blindly follow one person. And it also doesn't mean that you put your blind faith in government either. Yeah. It's that we have to trust that these institutions work for us. And the reason that we can say that is because there are peaceful transitions of power. And no matter who elected them, we know it was fair. And we know at least the people spoke. But now... We have radicalized people, and that's a problem. There's obviously a lot to fix here. There's a lot more we could say. Um, you know, we didn't really touch on. Uh, we barely too too much of the, the, the yeah. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, the original objections. Um, there's so much more to the story, and I'm sure we'll be discussing it on later episodes. But I feel now we should turn to the Georgia runoffs, which were um, the other big news of the week. But first, a little break, because that was a long segment. That was long and, uh, <laughs> and tiring. It's tiring. It's, it's a lot to think about. Well, we did it. We did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. You said it, Kamala. So a bit of behind-the-scenes information. Yesterday, or no, a couple days ago, I uh, made this soundboard full of sounds that are, uh, I think, quite hilarious. I'll just play one of them for you. Um, we love you. You're very special. Now, if that didn't make you laugh, you might as well leave now. <laughs> Come to find out that there's really no good way to play these sounds. Um, right now I'm playing them. Um, using my computer, but 
it's just being played out loud. Yeah, you need like a some way to record them onto a file. You need a boyoying or a or I don't like have a, that. like a funny have... fart noise. I think it would be funny if there was a really funny fart noise. That might be really what fun. What about um just like a radio show. You know, you just one of my funny ones. Um Donald Trump's very very large Brain. A brain. We gotta get to Georgia. We gotta talk Georgia. For those who don't know, and I think you'd be stupid to not know. Well, Brian, don't insult the audience. It's a big story, man. Everyone's know about this. Come on, man. Everyone's know about this. Come on, man. The Democrats have taken control of the White House and the Senate. And the house. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's pretty epic. Uh huh. All right, all right, all right. I'm not done. Here. I wish you could see him now. He's. It's just a. It's just a hurricane of, of dance here. A man consumed by the rhythm. That's all I can see. It's really astounding. Wow. Alright, that was enough. Well, I thought it was a little funny. I was having a great I time. I worry it might be really loud. And um, illegal. Yeah, it, it is illegal. Mike Lindell. Mike Who Lindell. Was on crack? <laughs> there you go. Now you're using them. That's, now, I'm, now I'm getting into That's it. That's funny. Now you're getting into it. So, we have full control. Everett has taken copious notes. Copious. Um, and I'm going to pester him throughout it by playing the Michael Jackson hee-hee while he gives his dramatic speech. Okay, that'd be really funny. Well, um... You know, oh great, how am I supposed to start? Well, you know, it was an ex- it was an interesting race. It was one of the most expensive Senate races in Georgia history and in American history. Um, it was looking like Warnock, and certainly he did. Warnock pulled away first and uh, beat his his rival Kelly Loeffler, the Republican. Um, but in the end, both candidates. Uh, Beat their their rivals by uh, quite a bit here. They're and Republican the, challengers. Republican cha- or rather, they are the challengers. They're both going against incumbents. One of the interesting things about this race is um, David Perdue is the only person in the race who had ever held elected office because he ran for senator six Kelly years before. Um, Kelly Loeffler uh, had never, had never won, a... won a single thing. She's from Illinois. Um, the funniest thing, she is one of the... Only people in American history to have lost several elections. That's true. And she's never won one, which is interesting. She's never won an election. She has no wins, but she lost as an incumbent, which is interesting. Almost like Joe Biden. Almost like Joe Biden, but not really. 2020. Um, yeah, she is worth $800 million. Um, she it was Wait, before what? she was a senator. She was the CEO of a company, which is a subsidiary of... Uh, Another larger investment firm, which her husband is the CEO of. Was it was the company called My Pillow? Who was on crack? No. Um 
I believe the name of the company is uh, Backed, which is a financial service provider. Did which, you say crack? Who was on crack? No, it's Backed. B-A-K-K-T. C-R-A-C-K. And the uh, larger corporation is the International Exchange. That's a pretty big company. She's also a co-owner of the Atlanta Dream WNBA oh, yeah. team. Everybody get up. It's time to slam now. So the two of them we were almost comically corrupt, the space which is amazing. Um, so it might be said that they were really good John Ossoff and uh, Reverend Warnock had a really easy job. And the interesting thing is, um, especially for John Ossoff, who I guess I've compared before to a Pete Buttigieg type and that he's extremely... He's very intelligent. He's well connected. Um, he's a young guy with pretty uh, with good liberal ideas. That um, you know he sticks with the national DNC policy, but he's not afraid to uh, bring out his more progressive side when he's really speaking from the heart. Um, but Ossoff is from Atlanta. He's thirty three. He volunteered with John Lewis starting I think when he was only sixteen. When he was 19, he worked for um, Georgia Representative Hank Johnson as his primary speechwriter at the age of 19, um, and then was an aide in the 2006 campaign. Um, and then he went to Georgetown and the London School of Economics. So, like Pete Buttigieg, he has this huge resume, but he hadn't really done anything before. And then he was a journalist, but later he was uh, hired to work as the CEO for an English documentary company with no filmmaking experience somebody described um, him as a uh, documentary filmmaker in a article and the Ossoff campaign got really mad about it yeah they're um, like no he is an investigative journalist he's an investigative journalist and now a politician but this race people have said wasn't really about the candidates and that's pretty true it was a referendum on trumpism that's that's certainly true and that's actually what Ossoff's first race was about because he had run before in another Georgia special election in 2017, which, um, from what I was reading from the New York Times, a lot of Democrats at the time were taking... It was right after um, the inauguration, so a lot of people in the Democratic Party were taking it as their first sign to show their resistance to Donald Trump. Um, and it was surprisingly close. This was in um, the 6th District, which is Greater Atlanta, so Cobb, Fulton, and DeKalb counties. DeKalb is calling is, DeKalb. DeKalb is um, DeKalb. I don't know. Is uh, was liberal then. It's and it certainly went to him and Biden now. But Cobb and Fulton are sort of in the North Atlanta area, and they're consistently um, there are more white folks there who are generally have pretty high income. And um, being in these suburbs before the 2020 election, where Joe Biden managed to wrest control of suburbs generally across the country. Um, they were pretty Trump-leaning at the time. But it was the most expensive congressional campaign um, in Georgia history at the time. And uh, John Ossoff only lost by 10,000 votes. Um, so it was pretty close, and it had record turnout. Um, so he certainly had a platform to run on, and he had some good ideas, but like Pete Buttigieg, essentially no record. Um, but David Perdue didn't make the race about John Ossoff. In fact, he and Leffler spent almost no time talking about Ossoff. And as many have noted, they sort of spent most of their time talking about Warnock, who they painted as this socialist. Um, and there's some serious 
concern here, not only with how the two Republicans are comically corrupt with their insider training schemes, both of them were investigated by the DOJ and Senate committees. They were found to be innocent of committing federal crimes, mm -hmm. but certainly doesn't look good to be mega wealthy. And in Kelly Loeffler's case, she's from Illinois, and she had this feigned Southern charm, which a lot of Georgians, from what I was reading, can see through. She would dress up with this trucker hat with an American flag. She'd wear flannel and she'd say y'all. <laughs> Apparently, there's not a lot of use of the word, the term law, y'all in Georgia. <laughs> there's um, not a lot of use. They don't say lol. 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 But, you know, she was just showing up feigning like this, this southern charm and people were assuming as soon as she lost, she'd just go right back to wearing her fancy million dollar suits. Awesome. Which is true. Um, and then, you know, there's also the problem with Purdue running an ad, which falsely enlarged Ossoff's nose. Ossoff and, is uh, Jewish like and his father is an immigrant. And then making Warnock's skin darker um, from from Leffler, both of which pretty clearly bad. <laughs> pretty clearly racist. Um, and the two of them are... Leffler ran on her 100% Trump voting record. That was pretty important for That's her. Um, which was... What's Diane Feinstein's Trump record? He's Probably right. 86. 86%. Fuck you, Diane Feinstein. Um, yeah, and she wants, Leffler wanted to repeal the ACA. She was pro-life. She had an A rating for the NRA. And she was pretty transphobic. Her, the, one of the only bills she introduced on the floor was um, to do a federal ban on any trans people participating in this, in a sport um, to the... Uh, gender to which they moved to. That was her one thing that she did, um, and it wasn't good at all. Um, Lion of the Senate, she, Kelly Loeffler. Lion of the Senate, Kelly Loeffler. See, associated BLM. Oh, clap for that. She talked about Black Lives Matter being a Marxist movement, um, and both of them tried to say repeatedly that Warnock and, per and Ossoff were endorsed by the Communist Party. Um, it was pretty shameful. Um, you know, Purdue skipped debates. He refused to talk about it. Um, on October 28th, um, Ossoff said in one of the debates that um, Purdue was downplaying the threat of the coronavirus pandemic while also buying stocks in healthcare companies and selling shares in travel-related industries, which is true. Um, maybe not insider trading, but definitely taking advantage of his congressional position cool. to uh, make money, which is bad. Not um, cool. so that's pretty not cool. And then they had that whole debate where Asif had to stand <laughs> at a podium alone. That's pretty not cool. Thank you for quoting me. You know, Asif <laughs> had to stand there at a podium alone and gesture at I, it. That, that, that was really funny. It was really funny. And he's a classic. And that's almost vaudeville. He capitalized it on his, on his Instagram, um, you know, with the chicken emojis. That's pretty funny. Cluck. But I think Cluck. it's, it's definitely, I think Brian... And where you could do some speaking here. Uh, please. Please. You don't want to talk at all? Oh, well, I think the, the biggest takeaway for if me, Stacey and you can talk Abrams about your biggest takeaway. I have, I have Stacey Abrams' exclamation point here. Can we give her a round of applause? Do it. Because she deserves it. Stacey Abrams is an amazing woman. When Stacey Abrams lost, and that was pretty clear, conflict of interest there during the Georgia gov gubernatorial race, Brian Kemp... Everybody loves Brian Kemp in that... Raffsenberger guy. Yeah. But well, they, they love lost. them now because they're standing up. They showing they have a soul. Maybe they're not a spine. They're doing the bare minimum. Yeah. Excellent job, folks. But you've also instituted uh, uh, 
voter discrimination laws in your state. You purge classic Georgia. Uh, African American voters off the voter rolls. Um, yeah, and that's you've exactly. You just made it harder to vote for uh, non-white people. But sure, you are doing your job. Uh, excellent. Right. Round and of applause for you. If we've already used up all of the money we, we have we can't. today, this is our it, entire production. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and the there definitely was a conflict of interest there because Brian Kemp was the Georgia Secretary of State, who of course runs elections. Um, his office held the registration of some thirty-five thousand or more voters. Um, so yeah, Stacey Abrams understandably was probably pretty upset that. Um, but instead of uh, doing anything else and trying worrying about her reputation, and you she know, she helps others. Exactly, she put her nose to the ground, and this isn't you know you can say whether or not, but I think it's very admirable that she spent this entire time working on unraveling the 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 system of of horrible loophole laws and remainders of Jim Crow laws, um, which enabled the Georgia government to to suppress not not stop but suppress so many voters, especially of color. Because the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. Exactly. Um Extra cool. of nineteen sixty five. Very uncool. And both of them are were running on a new Voting Rights Act as well, both Ossoff and Warnock, named after John Lewis, I think. Right? Yes. So yeah. And that's probably the biggest takeaway for me, is what I was getting to when I started this, is, is the idea of the New South. This is something that Jamie Harrison ran on, that um, there is a New South now, and especially people of color are reclaiming this area, which was essentially, they were forced to, and then was stolen from them, um, and was re- continuously, up until now, they have been subjugated within. So it's... I think it's pretty great that now Georgia has, and which both candidates have pointed out um, numerous times, that you have a Jewish son of an immigrant, really young guy with new ideas, and also a black Baptist preacher who preaches in the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, the former pulpit of MLK. Uh, why are you laughing? <laughs> you said Ebenezer. All I thought was... Ebenezer Scrooge? Yes. That made you laugh? Yes. I, can I ask you which version... Ebenezer, spirit, don't hand me. Can I ask you which version of, of the movie... It doesn't matter. Because I think about the Muppet one. Yeah. So I imagine that guy. I apologize, folks. It's funny. What um, was your biggest takeaway? From my it? biggest takeaway from this um, was <laughs> just the, you know, the variability of which candidates can succeed in elections I guess, is, I don't know, what I was thinking when John Ossoff uh, um, ran in this case, is that John Ossoff doesn't really have any experience in uh, politics at all. Obviously, he's won this race now, so he's going to be a senator. But prior to this, in those two races that he lost, it seemed as if he was, well, he didn't really lose the, the first Georgia Senate election. It was tied. Um, neither of them won. Neither of them won. Um, but John Ossoff seemed like a liability for the Democrats, that they should have put in a stronger candidate. Um, but then you also look at, you know, this is the most well-funded um, candidate uh, uh, race in American history, which is uh, confusing on many levels because in some situations, you know, the money does not work. Um, look to Maine, our state, with segregating in this 
uh, past November. Yeah, obviously was completely there were, refuted. Obviously, there was tons of money flowing in, um, and it didn't work. Um, Sergeyn was, you know, not the strongest candidate, and I think that Ossoff was also not a strong candidate. But I feel like they capitalized on that. Um, you know, we are the last two candidates. If you want... If you want gun control, if you want climate change bills, but if you also, want, if you it, want it COVID became, relief, right? If you want a two thousand dollar check, if you want common sense, which was sense so reform. stupid on Trump's part, um, and it's like the nineteenth stupidest thing he's ever done. But just basically jeopardizing the GOP by saying, "Yeah, I want a stimulus check too," and basically forcing a referendum on stimulus checks when, if you're being polled, you know. Do you want $600 or do you want $2,000? Which of those is going to be the more popular option? Obviously the $2,000. And for whatever reason, Leffler and Purdue, I guess, um, slowly came to the decision that they would also endorse that. But it was too late at that point. A lot of voters made up their mind. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention was Ossoff um, received less votes than Warnock. Which um, is confusing because everyone voted at the same time. So it, uh, these elections were running concurrently in the same areas. If, correct me if I'm wrong. But that must mean that somebody came in to the booth and checked Warnock, but not Ossoff. They <laughs> selected Warnock and Purdue. So does that mean that Kelly Leffler is just like, not a viable candidate at all, or is these people That's looking for, you know, um, uh, two-party rule, I guess, not looking for a domination of one party over the government? It's hard to say until we get more complete analysis of, like, uh, voter demographics in this election. Um, but, yeah, Ossoff did receive about a, approximately 20,000 votes less than Warnock and won by... Whereas Warnock had a 50.9% share of the vote, um, Ossoff had a 50.46% share of the vote as of uh, yesterday evening. Um, that would be uh, January the 7th. Um, so it's it's hard to say, um, but it is possible. I think Leffler clearly was the weaker candidate. And again, David Perdue is the only person in the race who had ever held elected office. He was a true incumbent. And he ran for Senate before. It was gonna going to be a second term. That might be part of it, but it's hard to say. And I, I have a question for you before we end. Um, that a lot of um, people who do analysis have been saying that Georgia right now is a microcosm for the nation, and that that this was more about a referendum on Trump, as we've sort of said, than it was yeah. on the candidates. And um, Georgia's been turning purple, and as the nation, in a way, did not completely and. Um, totally refute and reject Trumpism, um, which is what we were looking at, like a Florida victory for Democrats or Ohio. Um, that didn't or happen. Texas. Or Texas, right. That didn't happen. Um, but do you think this is a microcosm of for the entire country? Um, in, in, in what like, uh, I'm, it, like, does it, this it, reflect it could be like opinions? But this, is, this was still a very tight race. That's exactly right, it, yeah. It's, it was not... Um, it was won by... It really wasn't cut and dry. Tens of thousands, and yes. that's it. So, um, a majority of Americans do not like Donald Trump. We knew this. We've always known this. And the Democratic Party is larger. But because of the 
um, the way our electoral system is set up, maybe they can change some of this in these two years prior to the 2022 elections. Um, because of that, there is a more rural skew for the elections and a Republican skew. Um, so, yes and no. We It proves what we already knew, sort of. It, it proves just what we knew about this... the populace, but not the electoral system? Yeah. Okay. It, it, it proves that, in this scenario, the Democrats won by a hair. It was just the certain set of conditions that that side got a little bit more. And but maybe we could really... say that it was because of Trump. And had yeah. he not been there, they probably would not have won. But it's not really a rejection of Trump. Certainly not, yeah. Um, Since it's the people thing people say about the general election yeah. in November, that Trump got 72, 73 million votes. Um, but, he, but to win this time, um, but for Biden to win la- this time, but Hillary not win last time, there has to have been some shift from people who voted for Trump the first time or people who have come out and vote now um, who were sitting on the sidelines previously. So it shows there can be more engagement of voters. And we Um, saw that certainly in Georgia, especially with, I I mean, um, I got here, I think... Communities of color. Well, yeah, um, I'm pretty sure black Americans in Georgia represent almost 30% of the entire electorate. So they're extremely important, and they are the those people are the reason that they won. Um, and turnout was ninety three percent of the twenty twenty general election um, in African American dominant communities. Um, it was only eighty eight percent in areas where Trump carried, and turnout was extremely high. And it also has to do with Warnock because um, both the Republican candidates insulted Warnock's religion a lot, um, and I think, or I've seen things saying that that might have struck a chord with a lot of religious um black georgians who wanted to show um that that yeah a man like reverend warnock can can stand up for himself and these religious values matter to them even if they aren't the evangelical you know values that the republican party has somehow hitched its ship to um one final stat before we wrap up this segment of the podcast um According to uh, Manu Raja from CNN, um, in the exit polls, Purdue was up 51 to 49 against Ossau among suburban voters. Um, so that covers that demographic. Um, whereas there was a, uh, let me read this. This is from Steve Kornacki. He says, um, in Georgia's 2nd Congressional District, uh, Southwest Georgia rural counties with large back populations, the turnout was nearly 95, 90% of what it was in November. Um, in Georgia, uh, in Georgia's ninth district, heavily GOP Northwestern Georgia, where Trump um, went Monday night, it's about 85%. Right. So I think this was a case of turnout was a little down by the Trump voters, um, and it was a little bit up from black areas. And that's all in the black belt, uh, which goes across central Georgia, named not only for the color of the soil, but also for the heritage of the people there. Yeah. What a fun fact. That's a fun, out this segment. It's a fun fact. Keep that in your brain. That's everything for this week. 
this was a tough week for, um, I think, for everybody, given Wednesday's events. There's a lot of, you know, uncertainties going forward about what direction this country is going in. And I, um, for a time, our democracy was in uh, serious danger, but I think, I think help is on the way at this point. But that, <laughs> that's everything. <laughs> Sorry to leave it on such a grim note, but, you know, things being as they are right now. Um, until next time, Everett and I will be back next week. Um, hopefully nothing crazy happens between now and then and we can have a normal funny episode um thanks for listening